Monday morning prayer meeting.
Deuteronomy 33. Jesus, that name is love. <coughs> Jesus, our Lord. It's part of the blessing that Moses gives to the Lord's people of Israel of old. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 1 wherewith Moses the man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death but in verse 3 yea he loved the people all his saints are in thy hand and they sat down at thy feet everyone shall receive of thy words loving the people all his saints in thy hand sitting down at his feet. Everyone receiving thy words. What a privilege for us to know his love for us. To know the safety, the security of being held in his hand. To be able to be at his feet worshiping and receiving of his word, his love for his people of old, <clears throat> and his love for us. But there's a prayer in Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians. One of the many prayers of <clears throat> the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, the third verse, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, all, every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now. <clears throat> but verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. One of the desires of the Apostle Paul expressed in his prayer here and in other places that your love may abound, your love, that's the Lord's love, God's love shining through his people, that your love may abound yet more and more. being filled with the fruits of righteousness. These requests, desires that he had then, surely can still be among the requests that we have yet today. <clears throat> Love abounding in knowledge 
and judgment, approving of things that are excellent and sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. May it be that our prayers, as we can come together once more, beginning a new day, that it may also be that these requests that we see in the Apostle Paul can yet be our thoughts and our desires and our concerns yet today. Love abounding. We've experienced the Lord's love these first two days and the fellowship in the gospel, the love of the saints. May it be our prayer that it will continue and abound yet more and more. Monday morning reading meeting. Number 76. Number 76. Rise, my soul. By God directs thee, stranger hands no more in thee. Pass thou on, his hand protects thee. Strength that has the captive free. Number 76. Rise, my soul.
invitation that we received to come to these meetings, there was reference made to the book of Ezra, when the people were told to uh, rise up, go back to Jerusalem, and build the house of God. Rise up and build. Be, you could maybe look at that beginning of the book of Ezra, that exhortation, because rise up and build then tells us rise up and build today. The book of Ezra, chapter 1, maybe uh, one of our younger brothers would like to read the chapter. Ezra, chapter 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, besides the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar, the priest of Judah. And this is the number of them, thirty chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred, all these did Sheshbazzar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. This is part of a much larger story, and uh, I think most are probably familiar with what goes before all this. However, just as an introduction, the Temple of God in Jerusalem because of the disobedience of the people had been destroyed the people of Israel God's people at that time had been taken away captive to Babylon and they had been there for 70 years now the, the beginning here in verse 1 in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah had been fulfilled the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. The spirit of God worked in the king, king Cyrus, 
and he makes a proclamation throughout his kingdom, telling who is there, verse 3, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, he is the God, which is in Jerusalem. So these people had been captives in Babylon. They're now given liberty to go back to the land of Israel, back to Jerusalem, and there their mission is rebuild the temple, the house of God. Well, there's a house of God today. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writing to Timothy, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church, or better word, assembly of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the house of God today in our time is not in, like back in the time of Ezra, it was the city of Jerusalem and the land of Israel, it was a geographical location. The house of God today is not made of stones and brick and mortar, it's made up of living stones who are believers, truly saved, and who, by the power of the Spirit of God, have been gathered around the person of Christ. In other words, the assembly that the Lord gathers around Himself is the house of God today. And there's some building to do. The house of God is composed of every believer in the world. Every true believer is part of the body of Christ and is part of the house of God also. I'm not asking a question because I have the answer. <laughs> Maybe some other brother has thoughts on that. And the view that Rob Robert is taking there, I believe, yeah. Is there anyone, is it possible, that there is anyone who is born of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, that is not part of that body. Body or assembly? Oh, all right, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of the day when the, when the Spirit of God came down and, and, and Christ got a body and God got a house, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what Steve's thinking of the fact there's such a thing as a great house, or uh, we've got something else to find. Go ahead. And the interesting, uh, not only interesting, I, I think the important thing is to realize where, what we've been brought into. I mean, I, I know maybe we got saved because we were listening to Steve last night and got scared <laughs> and that's good that's why he said it because we need warnings but I also believe that we're brought into a much bigger place 
It's a wonderful thing to know that our sins are forgiven and that we're no longer uh, destined uh, to a doom that is a, probably what we were worth, worthy of, but God in grace has opened up a marvelous inheritance in the glory. And meanwhile, God has formed a building. And, and this is language to help us understand what he's done. God lives in that building. As he would live in us. When you know the Lord's our sacred. Habitation of comfort. By the Spirit. However, I think what we're realizing is the fact that that particular house we're talking about I mean it, in one way we can say it's perfect in another way we can say there's some cracks on it and that's what the repair is about in other words how are we behaving how are we acting and living and how are, are we going on in obedience to the one who has formed this house and this the scripture uses different words and different terms because uh, this truth is so full and so vast and my little mind can only take in a little bit at a time. You know, I read about the house of God, but then mention the body of Christ. While each term, sometimes they refer to the same people, sometimes they don't. And each term has its own place in the truth of God, in the things that we need to, to learn and understand. And I think we better not go into all the, all the complications here. But you take the body of Christ, and we have a body, and so that's something to understand. And just to mention the, the different aspects of the body of Christ, I like to use these three words. There's the, the total and the global and the local aspect of the body of Christ. But to bring this back to Ezra, <coughs> there was a, a job to be done in a particular place which at that time was Jerusalem to rebuild that temple which was God's house at that time. It was in ruins because of the <coughs> failure of those who had gone before now there's some who are given a responsibility to uh, put it back together again, build it up. And just to try to relate this to our own situation and the house of God, without going into all the other things that this can bring in, when we gathered here yesterday morning, we believe that we had the Lord Jesus in our midst according to his word where two or three are gathered together unto my name there am I in the midst of them and so still today the Lord by the Holy Spirit gathers of his own around himself 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the gathering is such as the Spirit has formed it, you have locally God's dwelling. And I'm thinking of the our letter of invitation that brought us here, referred to Ezra, but referred also to uh, some of our brethren who went before. And they faithfully carried on in the pathway, maintaining the truth, and they have passed it on to us. And now we are responsible to continue on to pass it, the Lord waits to pass it on to our next generation. Our brother Robert Croft was speaking uh, last night. I was telling how blessed we were in Rockway that there were brethren before us, like Mr. Learmont and Mr. McDowell, who came and they preached the gospel and souls were saved and an assembly was formed and Today, we are reaping and enjoying the results of these brethren that went before. But now, it mustn't stop there. It has to continue with the present generation carrying on so that there will be a legacy for those who come after us <coughs> this go until the, till the Lord comes. So that requires building. Think of this remnant here in uh, the time of Ezra, they're in Babylon, and they're told now, okay, you're free. They're not commanded to go, but they were free to go. Go back to Israel. Go back to Jerusalem. Build the temple. So here I am sitting in Babylon. There's a privilege. There's an opportunity before me. What am I going to do? Ah. I don't feel like taking that long journey. It's too far. And you could look at some of the difficulties and relate them to today. They're very real. To carry on following the Lord, meeting around Himself, maintaining assembly truth and assembly principles against all the evil and corruption and error that is so prevalent keep on going. I guess some of the Israelites could say, well, God permitted that we got brought to Babylon. So, if you brought me here, you know, why shouldn't I stay here? Why should I go to Jerusalem and allow it to be destroyed? Mm -hmm. Whether they recognize because of their disobedience or whatever, you know, they're in Babylon now, so why shouldn't I stay there? Like you said, you've been there for 70 years or so. It's a long time. It's older than me. You know, group, pack everything up and move to a place that some of them probably had never seen or were very young. It required faith. Well, there's more than that. During that 70 years, God had Jeremiah write them a letter and tell them now, pray for the city where you are, build houses, plant crops, raise families, the, the captivity is going to be gone. Now it turns around. Now pull up roots, 
They're well settled. And go. So this is a, this is a question, you know, about knowing the Lord's will. By the prophet Jeremiah, you know, there you are in Babylon, now pray for the place and, uh, you know, carry on. Now, through King Cyrus, a, a different message comes. Okay, now that captivity is over, now it's time to go back. So to be able to understand the time and to have the proper application of the scripture that a, for the Lord's will in the given situation. That's more than a generation. Seven years, really. Yes. Some of them had never known what it was to be there. And I've been struggling especially in view of what's happening there right now over in Jerusalem. And we won't go into that. But I've been reading in Chronicles and also I think of a number of times in Deuteronomy it reminds us that this little piece of geography is the place that we're told God has sent his name there. God has set his name there. I don't care what is happening. I believe it is still set there. That is a place where God's going to accomplish still many marvelous things. And then the Lord is going to reign there. Washington is not the center of the world. Or is Ottawa or New York or London. Yeah, all of that stuff. There may be some amazing happenings in this place, but where is where is God's center? Where is God's place? Well, geographically, you could say it is Jerusalem. Where is God's center for those who are His people today? And I think that's an important thing to establish, and I believe that in order to establish that in and settle it in your own heart and your own mind. You have to know. You have to know history. You have to know past uh, historical events. You have to know scripture. You have to know the truth. And you also <coughs> have to be able to verify what has happened. There's so much that's that isn't true about some of the things. And uh, that's why I think Steve is saying you've got to know God's mind. You've got to be willing to do God's job. Now that, that brings you to the next point. As you say, there's a lot to learn there in what you mentioned. Yeah, there is. <laughs> However, going back to Jerusalem and the, the people of Israel, uh, look for a moment at Psalm 137. Psalm 137. This is some of the Israel, Israelites in Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof. 
For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required us of mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her coming. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. A faithful Jew, his heart then and today is set on Jerusalem. As you said, that's God's center, earthly center. And the faithful Jew, his heart was set on that place. He could not sing the Lord's song in a strange land. And if he forgets Jerusalem, well, he might as well lose his right hand. That was so important to him. And you get Psalm 84, about uh, going up to Jerusalem. A day in my courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. No. So this is the heart of the Israelite regarding what for him at that time was God-centered. Well now, as God has given us a center today, we've got to start with that state of heart. To have a desire to know where the Lord wants me to meet with Him. The Israel, when you read the Deuteronomy, when the Lord went in, they went into the, were going into the land, that in the place which the Lord shall choose, they had no input in it, whatever. God says, I'm going to choose, and that's where you go. My brother, I heard a while ago, he said he was church shopping. Look here, look there, look there, try everything. Well, the Lord has something for us. And you need the heart that wants, <coughs> Lord, where will thou have me to go? What, what will thou have me to do? And with that desire, the Lord will leave. But it's not easy. When the house was first built, in First Chronicles chapter 28, And now Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong, and do it. Know thou the God. Mm -hmm. I think that's the motivation for us to leave Babylon. Mm -hmm. The thing of the world is only by knowing him. Solomon didn't know what the house, there had never been one in that sense, a permanent dwelling. It was all new. Here, these ones were looking back, and some remembered it, and they wept, and some... And the house was already rebuilt. 
grasping to know, know him, find that personal attraction. So here are these people in Babylon. You're free. You can go. Rise up. Go. Let them go up and build. Go up and build. Now we've spoken about, you know, various hindrances. They were comfortably settled. And uh, why, why go to all this trouble? Why go to all this trouble? All the change and all the upheaval. The, uh, just the distance they had to travel. Take a, a look at this going on in Ezra, chapter 7, verse uh, 9. This is a little later on when Ezra himself went up. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. That's like leaving January 1st and arriving May 1st. How long was your journey yesterday, you mentioned, David? Forty days. Forty days. Yes. Okay, this here is uh, four months. It's 120 days. And uh, not sitting in an air-conditioned car. <laughs> and no Tim Hortons along the way. <laughs> Actually, rough country, desert country, and dangers, enemies, robbers, all kinds of dangers along the way. When they get back, it's not just to fix something up, but the city, uh, the, the temple had been damaged, the wall had been crumbled in many places, and there had been much rubble that we read of. And so it, it was not only a question of the discomfort uh, and the trial of going to that location, but when they got there, what they had to deal with was probably beyond what we can imagine. Yes. And uh, I'm sure as we look at this, we'll, we'll find that, that this, uh, this matter of leaving Babylon going in there, it, it seems as if it was sort of made by three different groups, as it were. The first group was led by Zerubbabel. And uh, what we find is, when they arrive there, they're supposed to, if we were meant to fix the temple, what's the first thing they do? They establish the altar. Mm -hmm. Worship is the first thing. Yeah. Before you get the cement going and all of that, you've got the matter of dealing in a precious and wonderful way with the one that has called him there. Giving him the glory, giving him the honor. Worshippers. 
Some of us are blessed to have uh, some other brothers with us, but Brad here is all by himself as brothers go. So what's the key to having the heart to do it? Rise my soul for what he had yesterday. Rye on the Lord. If you're going to do it, there has to be an object. There has to be a purpose. And the object, there, there can be many objects, but there's only one correct one, and that's the Lord. This is His will, and for His sake, and for His people, and for His name. For Him. How it starts when David exhorted Solomon, it was the first thing he he exhorted was to know him. And then have that perfect heart. And then have a willing mind. There's a lot of willing minds, but if it's not guided by the right object, and if the heart's not set on the right object, that mind and will will take you anywhere.
Remember, you know, we're talking about people going from Babylon to, uh, to Jerusalem. Can you imagine going from Hanover? Because he came to go <laughs> What a trip that was. What? And, and what was it? It was the heart of God, of the Lord Jesus. Obedience to the Father. He had his, he had his heart fixed on a people on earth. And he wanted that for himself forever. And I think we go to the cross of Calvary and we see what it cost him to have that. Not only a trip to come from the glories of heaven down to some place in Bethlehem in the manger of some animals, but the things that I meant that we were talking about that cross of Christ, that crown of thorns, all he had to bear in order to be able to purchase for himself a place. And that riot is, is seen as we see a body made up of members. It's a house made up of living stones, as it were. But, let me say what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm thinking of that time when the Lord Jesus was here, a baby of angel. Afterwards, he was with his mother and father, and there were wise men that saw him. And they found him. Not in the manger, but he was in a house somewhere with his parents. And what did they do? You can see the way their hearts are attached. And they brought forth their gifts, as it were. You know, the fragrance of what it must have been. And the amazing thing is, or one of the interesting things is, you know, we know what it is like baby showers, you know. And you give the bride, you know, the mother, all of this. These men didn't come and give Mary something. They came... And their offering was to the baby, wasn't it? And so they did that. Have you ever noticed there are two or three words that you could miss very easily? Just like Steve was telling us, it's going to be tonight, we're going to have to leave, we're going to have to go home, aren't we? Can you remember the words that it talks about when it when about these wise men? I'll read it to you. And see if you can catch it. My eyes aren't that great. Uh, and, and when they were come to, into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Says that. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then it goes on and says, And being warned of God and dream that they should not return to Herod. These are the words. They departed into their own country another way. There are two ways of looking at that, are, are there not? 
I wonder if I, how many of us are going to go home. Maybe the same route. I wonder if we'll go home another way. <laughs> will we go? Will we arrive home the same as we were when we left, or will we be there another way? Will something have actually? Will something have reached our heart and made us realize we're made different to what we were, and day by day, all this would be real to us. It, it, it's occupation of him. And they went though it, it, it probably wasn't an easy route on their camels or whatever they were on. But the thing is, they came in that way. And thankful I was able I was brought really here to <laughs> the kindness of others, but as we go home they trust. The fact that we've been able to be in our own self a blessing, being blessed, we can encourage each other. Because what we're reading about it, I find it so astonishing because, you know, God called the people of Israel, you know, the children of Israel, there were ten tribes and all of that. And if we read the history of it, we find that, I'm sorry, 12 tribes, uh, 10 of them have gone off to Assyria. Now we're talking about those over in Babylon, and it's only, it seems as if uh, this whole thing comes, and uh, we're looking at Judah and Benjamin. Those are the tribes that are invited. Those tribes, if you look at the census of them, there were many, many people that were carried away into that captivity. I can't remember how many, but I, I can tell you how many came back. Because they're written here. But with this first group that came back, there were 42,300 in the score. 4,200. Can you imagine when you think of that? Uh, and I'm looking at, what is it, chapter 2 and verse what, 64. And I might be wrong because there may be others that are. But what I'm saying is, it's not a big, relatively speaking, the number that were taken away and the number that came back was very small. establishing and re-establishing and repairing and building confirming those things that are so important to the Lord. Well, that brings us to the <clears throat> latter part of our chapter. Uh, verse 7, Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and put them in the house of his God. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Nicholas, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. So you have thirty chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, 
nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of the second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels of thousand. All the vessels of gold and silver were five thousand and four hundred gold and silver vessels. Now, in today's uh, value of gold and silver, that would be worth millions. So here they are. All of this they're bringing with them from Babylon to Jerusalem. On departure, it is all counted and itemized completely. When they arrive in Jerusalem, they have to account for everything that was given to them and they have to deliver it. Nothing missing. Now between Babylon and Israel on this long journey, there were robbers, all kinds, you know, and they're carrying a tremendous treasure. And they've got to bring it safely through all the dangers, all the possibilities of robbery and so on, and deliver it intact at Jerusalem. Nothing missing. Well, you know, we are likewise commissioned and charged with carrying a treasure and to see that we bring it and deliver it without anything missing. I can think of a little paper I sometimes pick up because the title at the end is called Treasures of Truth? No. Treasure Truth. Treasure Truth. Treasure Truth. We have, you know, you hold this book in your hand, and in there, through the faithfulness of some who have gone before us, and the Holy Spirit giving gifts, there are truths that have been taken out of this, <coughs> found in this book, and has been taught, has been put into writing, has been committed to us, and we have been privileged to learn some of these things, or at least begin to learn a little. And now what these things we've learned and we seek to practice, we are responsible to hold it, maintain it, and carry it all the way. Don't drop any along the way, or lose any along the way between some robbers. Speaking of those gold and silver vessels, speaking of the value of the truth of the Word of God, there's another way we can look at those gold and silver vessels. We have that in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where it's a question not of the house of God, but of the great house. And in the great house there are vessels of gold and silver. So not only are we carrying something valuable, everyone who is truly a believer is a gold and silver vessel. We are precious to the Lord, as we've been reminded, a cost the Lord paid in order to have us as His own, His own special treasure. We are part of that treasure, and we are responsible as such to maintain 
these uh, gold and silver vessels in uh, honor and availability to him to use as he may desire. The mention was made of how when they arrived they're sent to build. But before they did any building, anything, any work on the temple, they set up the altar. Look at that a moment in chapter 3. Verse 1. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Notice the unity there. One man. Then stood up Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. <coughs> and they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon under the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required, and so on. Another of these difficulties was when they arrived there, they were surrounded by, surrounded by enemies who didn't want them there and uh, who want to get rid of them. So they're, you see they're in, uh, for fear, in verse 3, for fear of them because of the people of those countries. So you think if you're going to, if you're afraid there are enemies around, well, come on, build up the wall. Get some protection here. They build the altar build the altar first. And it says, as it is written in the law of God, the law of Moses, the man of God. So they started to put the word of God into practice. Into practice. They built the altar and they offered, it doesn't say sin offerings, they offered burnt offerings shows an appreciation of the person of Christ and what he is to God. <clears throat> that is the true substance of worship. And today, God seeks worshipers. You know, he seeks sinners. And he finds some. And amongst these saved sinners, he seeks worshipers. But there are, he finds fewer worshippers than he finds saved sinners. But those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those two things. In spirit is according to God's nature. And in truth is according to God's will. We worship him in nature, spirit and in truth. But he seeks worshippers. And so we have our little remnant here now. They're back in Jerusalem. There's no temple yet. The 
They have the altar of the God of Israel. They have God's center, the, the altar of the God of Israel, and the, the flame of sacrifice is going up, the burnt offering is going up, a sweet savor is going up to God. What a pleasure that must have been for the Lord. And once again, after all these years, once more, there's a there burnt offering going up there to him in his chosen son.